You are listening to season two of the Humans of AI Stories, not Stats podcast. Me, Devi Parikh, and Dhruv Patra talk to AI researchers to try and understand who they are as people, what their life is like, what they think about, what they're insecure about, and what they get really excited about. Questions that reveal the stories of their day-to-day life. In this episode, Dhruv talks with Stephen Lee, who is an assistant professor in the School of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science at Oregon State University. Stefan talks about his love for video games and board games, over-analyzing decisions using spreadsheets, endothermic and exothermic collaborations, optimistic nihilism, and lots more. For more information about the podcast and the episodes, you can log on to www.humanstories.ai. And yeah, let's get right into the episode. Okay, so Stefan Lee, welcome to Humans of AI. Thank you for agreeing to participate. Um, I have a sequence of questions for you. Um, and I know questions generally make you a bit nervous, but we'll get through it. <laughs> um, some of these are lightweight, uh, may not require much thought. Um, others may require a bit more consideration, in which case feel free to take your time to think um, and pause. Um, we don't have to get through all of them. We can skip questions if you'd like to. Uh, but when in doubt, if you can err on the side of being open, vulnerable, transparent, we would appreciate it. Sound good? Yeah, might as well. So what were you doing right before this call? I just finished an hour and 10 minutes of lecture um, right before this. What are you teaching? Uh, undergraduate machine learning. So oh. we just went through perceptrons. It's a, it's a glorious age. <laughs> yeah, it, it is wonderful at that level because you can, you can really make a difference and you can see the spark. And... Yeah, we're wrestling with all sorts of probability problems, but people are getting it. Um, I actually just scheduled an extra block of office hours this weekend because um, that's that's who I am. Uh, you know, like dogs and kids can see a sucker when they see, like see one, um, and I always fall into that category. So I'm doing extra office hours this weekend. What's your daily routine like? Uh, yeah. So the front half is super stable, then the back half is sort of wild. Um, I get up in the morning with my spouse at about 6.30 a.m. because she goes off to work at around 7. Uh, and then I end up getting to work at about, about 8. Uh, and by getting to work, I mean, I guess I, I sit in this chair, right? Uh, in the old times, I would also go in with her uh, carpool, so I'd be there at like 7, mm-hmm. um, which is a really beautiful time to try to get some work done because you know nobody's bothering you at 7.30 a.m. in an office. Uh, but yeah, then, then I go through emails and try to figure out what I'm going to do for the day. Uh, some of it's pre-planned from the day before and some of it's, you know, new arrivals that I have forgotten about that are uh, need to get squeezed in somewhere. So planning out the day first and then chugging through. Mm. What's the favorite part of your day? I like dinner a lot. I know that sort of sounds silly, but um, it's this nice transition point. Um, so, so my, my spouse is non-academic. So like she goes to work and she comes home and then she's home and her day's over, right? She doesn't have any work to do when she gets home. So there's this beautiful sort of transition point in my day where my wife comes home and we both like cook and eat dinner. And it's this break from work. I know I, know I have to get back to work at some point later in the evening, but for you know, like an hour or two there, uh, it, it feels like having a normal nine to five. And I like that quite a bit. Yeah. Plus food is good. I mean, you know. Food is good. And what's the least favorite part of your day? Oh, um, this is this is unambiguous. I hate 
the end of it. Um, I, I will rage against the coming of the night every night. I hate it. I don't like going to bed. It, it's this mix of, it's a mix of that tomorrow is coming along with whatever responsibilities that includes uh, and that today is over. And whatever measure of fun or productivity I've had today is done and it's in the books and maybe it was a good day and maybe it was a bad day, but there's, there's no more change to it. And I, I just hate it every single night, um, which drives me to stay up later to, to avoid it and to add more to both those columns. But, but, but clearly, since you wake up early and at a fixed time at, at 6.30, I'm assuming you also then call it a night at nearly a fixed time, no? No, no, that, that's like, like I said before, and you asked about my, my routine, the, the, the end part gets a little wild. Um, I always wake up about the same time. Sometimes that means I got four hours of sleep. Um, sometimes it means I got eight. Oh, wow. So okay. Are you able to function on four? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm on five right now. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I've, I've found that I lost that ability some years ago. <laughs> anything, anything less than, I don't know, six and I will not be functional. Yeah, it's a, it's a genetic oddity, I suppose. Um, but it's, it's useful. Do you set an alarm in the morning? I have to. Um, on work days, I have to. On weekends, I wake up just naturally at like 7.30 or 8 every single time. Um, but on, on weekdays, if I don't set an alarm, I'll, I'll run through it. Hmm. And you end up snoozing the alarm? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I set the alarm with the intention of it being snoozed. Uh, that little sort of greedy moment of knowing I'm going back to sleep is, is a really nice human moment, right? That feels great every single time. Um, so are there like multiple backup alarms and snoozes? I'll just push the snooze for five minutes and then fall back asleep and wake up five minutes later and do it again. Like I think, um, I think my record for that is somewhere in the space of two hours. I just two hours of waking up and pushing the button. Um, oh, this was back in grad school. Like I got things to do now, but um, there's twenty four of those. I fall back asleep really quickly in that state, so like it's always it's always worthwhile. Um, yeah. Okay. It doesn't make me a good neighbor, I don't think. Um, but are you a planner, or do you operate more on gut feeling and end up going with the flow? Uh, I try to plan um, because otherwise, I think I, I, the juggling fails and I drop too many things. Uh, I, I can't say I'm perfect at it. I, I certainly haven't risen to uh, Debbie's level of organization, but it's, it's aspirational. Do you struggle with procrastination? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, you know, like work procrastination, right? Like I'll, I'll have something that I need to do and I'll do something else that's productive, but not really core instead. Um, like if, if you want a graph of the lost surface of logistic regression, turning the decision boundary in a 2D problem, like I made that for a lecture, but I don't think it was worth the time spent in it. Um, but it counted as work uh, when I was avoiding yeah. thing I didn't want to do. Yeah, exactly. You probably made it while distracting yourself from something else that needed to, to get done. Yep. So that's, that's the version that sort of I, I struggle with the most because I think I can, I can defend against the, you know, just go watch t TV or something because that's clearly something I can cast in a bad light. But um, mm. 
technically it's still working is sort of the voice in my head. Um, Are you competitive, Stefan? I like competition. I don't usually care if I win. Hmm. Um, so, you know, as you know, one of my favorite things in the world is board games and in like competitive play at those things, I'm mediocre, but if a really cool strategy or an idea beats me, that's worth it. Like that's the exciting bit is seeing these things come together uh, to do well. Like, yeah, winning is better than losing, but I, you know, tinkering with the mechanics of systems to, to perform well is uh, more exciting. Hmm. So competition as a breeding ground for interesting ideas. Yeah. Interesting. Like I, I spent an entire year in my undergrad losing to the same guy at racquetball three times a week um, with no problem, right? That's fine. I don't mind that. Um, but I got better and we learned interesting things. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a rejection or a failure that hurt particularly bad? So usually with this, it's a, when I, when I think about this, it's like in the regret sort of sense in like RL, like what did I lose trying this? And the one that sticks out in my mind is when I transitioned from my previous institution where I was sort of a research scientist to my current institution as assistant professor, I had like a month lag in between the two where I could have taken a break. Like I could have after years of not really doing that, taking a break. And instead I worked on like a CRII proposal, one of the NSF proposals, and it just bombed. Uh, so like I, I spent this time where I could have been exploring my new home and new town and things and, and you know, sat in this chair instead. And that, that's unfortunate, that feels bad. Um, so maybe that one. Mm. You know, for the, I, I'm sure that felt bad, but for the sake of accuracy, I don't think it bombed. I read the, you shared, you were kind enough to share the reviews. I read the reviews. It didn't bomb. Wait, did I share the second set? Or are you talking about the CRI when I was at Georgia Tech? Oh, I see. Yeah, maybe talking about the second <laughs> one. <laughs> it didn't go well. I mean, by NSF standards, it was negative, but it wasn't, you know, like they didn't tell me to go home and never do it again, but <laughs> it was still sort of rejected. You know, it was, it was not in the consideration for long. Mm. Uh, conversely, is there an achievement or a success that felt particularly good? No. So I, I have a character flaw where I very quickly discredit my own successes as attributable to luck and circumstance. Um, so like when something bad happens, it's my fault for not doing well enough. And when something good happens, it's luck um, and circumstance that brought me there. So I don't tend to hold on to the positives too terribly long. That can make for uh, this sort of a uh, lot of uh, self-criticism coming uh, here. Yeah, you know, like I said, it's a character flaw. Um, <laughs> You're critical as you describe it. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're not all good at processing all the emotions in our lives, and that's one place that I'm, I'm particularly weak. Hmm. What would you say is your biggest strength? Yeah, so... Um, I cheated a little bit and looked at the last set of these. Um, so I thought about this because it's kind of a hard question. Um, and I, 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 came, I came to the conclusion that it's probably that my emotional state is like unreasonably steady in the face of stimuli. Um, like 
rejection, acceptance, no sleep, sleep, hungry, it's all fine. I'm, I'm roughly the same level of happy uh, through most encounters in life. Um, the only sort of caveat there is like my anxiety levels will spike or up or down, but like overall life satisfaction is pretty level, uh, which helps when things get hard um, and maybe doesn't help as much when things are great, but uh, it, it keeps you moving. Hmm. So you're stoic. Not intentionally, <laughs> but by, by process of character development, it's ended up that way. What is a life hack or a favorite tool, trick that makes your life more efficient or fun? I just came out of lecture, so that's when my thoughts first came. I got a... I got one of these sort of writing boards, which can't be seen because of my green screen. Um, mm -hmm. And that's helped so much with sort of writing on annotations and doing things in class. Mm -hmm. We're on online instruction. Um, so that, I, I couldn't imagine teaching without it right now. So mm -hmm. I, yeah. I don't Is use a lot of other gadgets, so it's, it's hard, to, hard to say. Mm -hmm. Is that a idea or a book or a podcast, some external influence that left a particularly deep impression on you? Um, I think it's probably gonna come down more to interpersonal relationships than those sources of media for me. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember ever sort of reading a book and being moved in terms of like an ethical position or moral position in a, in a really it's astounding way, in a way that I maybe didn't expect. Um, and maybe that's because I'm underread, and, and maybe it's because I tend to value the interactions with people more. Mm. How do you make difficult decisions? Are there certain lines of thinking or frameworks or uh, in your case, uh, spreadsheets? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I will overanalyze decisions to death. Uh, to the point of like analysis paralysis. Um, and then I feel like the actual final decision ends up being a gut decision uh, based on just like trying on decisions. So that, that is something I will do and put into practice um, is I'll just pretend like I've made up my mind and not tell anyone, but just carry that mentality around in my head for a day or two and start thinking about like, what would be, once you've gotten that part off of yourself, mm. what would you like you start thinking about moving and your, you know, your new colleagues or whatever, um, or you know, what, what research you're gonna pursue. And as you're envisioning those things, maybe it starts becoming more or less appealing. Mm. Uh, so then you switch the next day, you pretend you chose something else and you do the same sort of exercises uh, so that the stress of the decision maybe doesn't and isn't the main thing you're thinking about when thinking about the outcome. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard this. Uh, I've heard this uh, advice that, you know, you should spend a day or two pretending you've made the decision and see what you would do if you made that decision and then come back and... Um, yeah, flipping a coin is also great, right? Yeah. yeah it, coin, you know what you wanted it to be. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in your case, I should mention that uh, your spreadsheets for how to choose what factors to consider uh, for 
picking a university to start a faculty position at is has been widely circulated amongst uh, Davies in my labs <laughs> as as an example of everything that you could possibly consider, including, you know, down to the distance to a particular zip code that you would find yourself traveling frequently to. Yeah, I also included like climate change resiliency and things like that. Um, by the way, the, the Willamette Valley in Oregon does great as climate change looks like. Um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I overanalyze and then I think I don't really know how much that analysis is useful versus one of these work procrastination things, right? Like it seems like I'm working on the decision uh, even if I'm not really contributing to the thing that's gonna let me make the decision in the end. Mm. Do you have an internal monologue? No. No, I, I almost never hear myself in my head. Um, this was a point of surprise and discussion with my spouse early on. Um, hmm. Yeah, very, very little of my own voice goes on up there. Are you a visual thinker? Do you have diagrams, pictures? So, so it's much more sort of concepts in, in, in space. Hmm. And you can find uh, that you can perform coordinate system transformations and rotations of maps in your head easily yeah, yeah. Re reasonably well for all that stuff um so spatial thinking all works out fine um i can't remember faces very well which is a constant sort of annoyance where someone will wave at me and i won't know who they are because <laughs> i didn't store that very well and then i'll feel bad um so what do you think about when what do you tend to think about when you're not actively trying to think about something To the extent that you're aware. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, um, I think we run, I, I, I run counterfactuals, right? Um, there's a lot of these decision points in life and some of them you suspect wouldn't matter too much and like your baseline happy would be about the same either way. Um, but then there's some you think back to every now and again and you wonder like if that went a different way, where would I be? Mm. Um, like if I had valued something different at that time, where would I be? Mm. Uh, and for me, this is often around career decisions, both, you know, what I chose to go do for, and, you know, where I chose to do it um, was a balance of many factors. And you always wonder if you sort of balance those factors right, or if, you know, later on in life, you're going to feel like you missed something. Hmm. And uh, are you able to do anything with those counterfactuals or does it just feel like background processing this is ever do you this is something come to you as a consequence of those counterfactuals i mean so, so no i mean sometimes it's escapism hmm. to minor degrees it's like what if i just done that like hmm. where would i be what would i be doing um and it's you know in the moment you often pretend like it's something better um and when in reality it's probably not uh, hmm. so you know sometimes it's that and sometimes it is you know, an actual sort of internal analysis of like, what do I value for like, what, is, what do I say I value versus what are the choices I made uh, indicate that I value and trying to reconcile that a bit. Hmm. How do you recharge or take a break? I like hikes and video games and board games. Uh, not in that order, but uh, in, in some order. You know, so for some reason, like what's relaxing to me is to play with some other super complicated system that like 
it doesn't have consequences, right? Uh, I don't know why that is, but like these really complicated like simulation or civilization games and things like this, or really complicated board games that have 12 page rule books. Um, like getting so absorbed in that minutia deletes the rest of everything for me while, while I'm doing it. Uh, so, so I find that incredibly engrossing and that sort of brings me back to life. And you are the proud owner of how many board games again? About 90 right now, I think. Uh, we're about done with the, the current shelf and we'll need to get a new one. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it hasn't been great during COVID. Not a lot of board game parties during COVID. Mm. Yeah. Are you happy with the number of close friends you have? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't have many. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm reasonably good at keeping one or two really good connections, uh, but I get antsy in groups. Uh, as groups get larger, I, I, I get more anxious. So it's hard to, you know, like, so it's hard to like get all the friends together at once and service all those relationships at the same time. So if having, if having a big peer group means I have to service a bunch of like individual relationships um, and, and that's hard. So I tend to have a pretty core, small core set. Hmm. What are you insecure about? Probably everything. I don't know. That's probably a reasonable human response. Um, yeah, I think, well, I, I think this may be another one of those things you're being too self-critical about. No, no, I, I am legitimate. So, you know, this overanalyzation occurs in every aspect of my life, right? Like, I will think about the answers I gave to this interview for the next 24 hours. Hmm. Like that, that is who I am as a person and I, I know it's not useful behavior and I try to fix it, but that's very likely going to be the outcome. Um, even though I probably not said anything uh, untoward. Hmm. So I, I'm insecure about many, many, many things, but uh, you deal with it. Do you think you're average, above average or below average happy compared to the people around you? Yeah, I think I'm probably average. Um, in the neighborhood of that, at least. Again, the variance is very small. That's the plus, um, right? My, my happiness doesn't swing much. It's pretty, pretty average. Hmm. Not the not the variance of happiness of people around you, but your variance over time. Yeah. They have variance of happiness over time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, 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 like I said, I'm pretty pretty level uh, as far as like hmm. overall life satisfaction and, and in the moment joy goes. Hmm. What is something surprising about you? Something that the rest of us who perhaps only know you from a professional context may not guess. Yeah, so you hinted at this earlier. Um, I actually hate public speaking tremendously. Uh, I get like physical symptoms of anxiety and stage fright. Like I'll get sweaty, I, my stomach will hurt and I'll feel sick, uh, like every time. Like. Like, like before a lecture, it's a deep breath, you know, and, and then you go and at conferences, it's way worse. Um, and, you know, part of this is just like my baseline anxiety and the other part is, you know, imposter syndrome and things like this. But uh, I think the tricky thing is I, in presentations, I come off generally charismatic and, and fine, um, but it, it's, it's a nightmare every time. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember uh, Coral 19, uh, I think you won the best, uh, one of the best speaker awards. Runner up. Runner up. Okay. And I just remember before that talk, you were just physically uncomfortable. <laughs> it was the worst. Uh, yeah, I don't like it. Um, 
I like that students give more talks now. Like I have to do workshop stuff, but um, the audience of that is narrower and you know, I, I generally know who they are, which helps. What is something about the world that surprises you? Um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, an honest answer there is the amount of talent and resources that we devote to things that are just utterly bad for us, like as, as a species, right? Um, like I love snack food, but I don't think we need a team of food scientists making it as delicious as possible to make me eat as much as possible. Like that's probably not a moral good. Um, but we devote tremendous resources to these things. Uh, and I don't, yeah, I don't know how to square it. Yeah, this is the problem with decentralized decision-making, right? <laughs> <laughs> they are being perfectly rational because you keep buying. Yeah, yeah, I, I try not to, but yeah, they're delicious, aren't they? There's <laughs> uh, a team of scientists making sure they are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as cheaply made as possible while being as delicious as possible. And, you know, the same goes for entertainment and for consumer products. And, you know, there's industries of, of consumption that don't necessarily lead to positive outcomes, but are incredibly well-developed and mm. incredible amount of talent. Uh, mm. What do you wish your brain was better at doing? <laughs> well, you know, the easy answer is remembering faces. I've already complained. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, these sort of like negative feedback anxiety loops could get better, right? Mm. Um, it, it'd be nicer if I didn't second guess things so much. Um, mm. Yeah, so that, that would be nice. What is something that you strongly suspect but don't have any proof of? This could be in a positive sense of a conviction, in a negative sense of a conspiracy theory. Are there positive conspiracy theories? There should be. Um, <laughs> I guess Santa Claus. Um, I, you know, so this seems blasé, but like I generally believe most people are inherently reasonable if they're given the resources necessary to sustain themselves and build social relationships. Mm. Like, I think the actual rate of things like psychopathy is you know, not that high in the human population. And a lot of the evil we see in the world is really just comes down to like poor distribution of resources or inadequate care or just cycles of abuse and things like this. Um, and you know, I don't have great evidence of this. There's localized studies where you know, if you pay for childcare and rent for a bunch of people in the community, overall outcomes go up. But um, yeah, I, I suspect that most awful things come from awful circumstances, not from awful people. Um, and where do awful circumstances come from? The same place that chips come from, uh, <laughs> right? A uh, bunch of people try to do what they think is right in the moment and creating systems that don't serve everybody. What is something you've changed your mind about? Recently or in general? Either one. I woke up one morning like four years ago and just stopped drinking and just like haven't had any alcohol since. Um, mm. It wasn't like a particularly insightful event or anything. I just woke up, you know, I you know, had a couple of beers the night before and I woke up and I was like, my head hurts. And I'm pretty sure this stuff is poison. 
So maybe I should stop drinking poison, um, even if it's fun poison. And I just didn't drink again after that, uh, at least until today, like, yeah, up till now so far. Um, mm. But you know, I, I had a very positive attitude towards alcohol before as you know, a general social lubricant, uh, but uh, you know, I just stopped one day. It was fascinating. And uh, <laughs> you've uh, like, was it something that you were trying or you went through a phase where it, or you went through on that moment that I now have changed my mind about this? Yeah, I'm really good at like abstaining practices. Hmm. Right? So like if I go on a diet, like I'm happy to say I eat 1300 calories a day starting at 4 p.m. No problem. Hmm. It's sort of gray middle areas that I have trouble with because hmm. you can rationalize some ups and some downs and then it sort of decays in different directions. Hmm. Um, so like full prohibitions, I'm generally pretty good at. Uh, and this was just, I woke up and it just wasn't a thing anymore. Um, like my, my wife made wine uh, out of blackberries in, in Oregon and like, I tried some and then spit it out. Like I didn't even swallow the sip of wine. It was just, I'm no longer a person who drinks alcohol as like an identity element in some weird way. Hmm. What is a bad habit you're working on overcoming? Uh, probably like stress eating. Um, like, you know, it's a minor thing. It's not like this big, big problem in my life, but uh, boy, if I've had a bad day, there's like an impulse. So I, I was sort of an overweight kid and like had a bunch of snack food. So like there's this internal impulse of like, man, I could just go buy a bag of chips. I'm an adult. I have money. I could just go and buy something that will give me dopamine and make me feel better about this moment. Um, and like fighting those tendencies is probably the, the biggest bad habit that I try to break at this point. Mm -hmm. How do you imagine your retirement? My what? Your retirement. Oh, I see. Uh, I mean, so if we think about my my generation's retirement, it sounds like a land party in a retirement home or something, right? Um, which is really up my alley. So, you know, there's there's classic you know there's classic video games that because we weren't together at the time, like my spouse and I haven't played together, and they're in our bucket list to you know go back and just play through World of Warcraft together because. Uh, we, we never did that together and it'd be super fun. So I suspect retirement will just involve, you know, heavy indulgence in these sorts of hobbies, which, you know, arthritis uh, willing will uh, not be so hard to achieve. Sounds like you have an age in mind. I don't. Um, and I think if you asked, you know, my partner, they might respond that I'll probably keep doing this until they stop me. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, no, no, I don't, I'm not like, you know, planning for retirement in any serious sort of capacity, like in, you know, real estate holdings or anything. Um, I think I'd be quite happy to work until I'm quite bored with it. Mm -hmm. Do you think about the future much on a five to 10 year scale? <laughs> um, no, I think is the short answer. Um, I should think about it more, but I feel like there's a lot of immediate concerns in the, you know, three months to one year range that are dominating a lot of my cycles right now. Um, I suspect like most people, if I get to, you know, that post tenure moment, many people have that deep meditative reflection of having achieved the goal, what's next? Uh, and I think, um, I think I'll put off too much forward planning until then. <laughs> uh, on a shorter time horizon, 
Um, what do, what's your concrete prediction for when the world, or perhaps more narrowly, this country will open back up again after COVID? Well, I mean, you know, so I've made, you know predictions are predictions, but I've made a bet. Um, so okay. I, I, have, I will be fully vaccinated in a couple of weeks, uh, and I have travel plans in uh, June. Hmm. I haven't seen my family on the East Coast for quite a while now, and those kids are growing up too fast to not have uh, too much encounter with with me um, or me with them. So I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, and I assume that most people will have that sort of horizon by sort of summer-ish. I think a lot of people will be back to normal. Um, you know, my university is going to in-person classes in fall, so they've also made a bet along those lines. Hmm. Yeah, I think I, I'm hearing of other universities as well um, that are going full in-person. Um, so sounds like summer is your is the bet that you're making. Do you have this metacognitive loop of like imagining your viewers of this series over time and not knowing them not knowing what we're talking about uh, to some degree? I, I'm imagining uh, like the, the, the view in my head is someone watching at the in August or September going, you fools, like you had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, AI scientists have a long history of making bad predictions of when yeah. things will happen. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, uh, falsifiability, right? All we get are the only way to learn is to make a concrete prediction and see if we were wrong. I'll be out of plane ticket. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. It is better to be wrong than not even wrong. <laughs> yeah, got to be a participant in your own life, right? Do you think there's a point to life? in our existence? No, I don't. Um, at least not like an innate one. Um, you know, you can go full existentialist and invent one, or you can go full absurdist and say that just living and how weird this all is, is the best option. But uh, I don't think there's any innate meaning to, to life or existence broadly. Mm -hmm. You actually introduced me to the concept of uh, not not the underlying idea, but at least the framework of uh, optimistic nihilism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if there's if there's no point to life, then we get to make one up, which is kind of nice, isn't it? Um, you can't do it wrong. Uh, yeah, it's so liberating. <laughs> I think there's, you know, there's a whole philosophic discipline of critiques towards that point of view, but I, I like it quite a bit myself. And where do you find meaning? What do you make? I like other people. Um, and I like trying to improve some aspect of their life in some way. Um, and, you know, not at some grand scale, uh, maybe my vision's too, too, too narrow, but like these interpersonal connections where somebody's day is made better, that feels really good. <laughs> like, I really like that. Um, so so may, maybe it's something along those lines, um, but wrapped up in whatever selfish preconceived notions make it to where some social interactions are more important to me than others. Um, yeah. On to even more philosophical things. Uh, 
Pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? I like it fine. People need to reduce the amount of sugar in the tomato sauce when they add the pineapple or else the whole thing is too sweet. Um, and that's off-putting for me because I don't, I don't like sweet pizzas like barbecue pizzas or anything. So um, if done right, pineapple and pizza can be really good. Um, a lot of places just make it into candy pizza, which is not the point. How do you decide what to work on? Um, sort of feeding into this whole social uh, ties thing. It, it often ends up being a combination of, you know, I, I, I am a serial co collaborator. I don't really like working alone all that much because I don't think it's all that exciting. Um, so some of it is on the winds of what my collaborators are interested in and what my students are interested in. And, you know, within the scope of a problem, I'm very excited about tinkering with that problem and that system and finding interesting insights. But as far as like which puzzle I'm playing with, I, I care significantly less. Um, like I make it excited, you know, similar to like making analogies to my board games, like I might get excited about a genre for a while and want to explore problems in that space. But the act of exploring and tinkering is the, is the main motivator. Hmm. And how do you capture and keep track of ideas? Uh, I used to just write down post-it notes and slap them on my wall. And then anytime somebody did it already, I'd take it down. Or if a student would come in and like ask for something, I would just turn and try to find something appropriate to hand them um, to start the conversation. I'm that out is, of my office now. That is beautiful. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is when I go back to my office after all this, I'm just gonna have to like take down all the sticky notes, right? Like there may be like one survivor uh, by the time I get back. Um, and it's like you're you're scrolling through archive. Well, that one's done. <laughs> <laughs> that one's on. You gotta throw that one out. <laughs> There's a physicality to this that is that is really nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it's something somebody showed me during an interview process. Uh, they would sort of like they'd have people on these cards, and you'd rank them on a wall, and like the physicality of it uh, made you not forget that you're not just considering like a pair; you're considering the whole whole space, and it ended up being nice for for this too. What are uh, some traits common across the best collaborators or colleagues that you worked with? So this is a term that I think you or Debbie actually introduced me to, um, to describe, to describe uh, two different types of, of people you might work with um, as either being endothermic or exothermic. Um, right? Either you put energy into the collaboration and less energy comes out. <laughs> Or you put energy in and more energy comes out. Um, and those sort of second type of relationships feed each other in a nice way, uh, whether they're social or, or you know, scientific collaborations. Um, so I tend, to, I tend to gravitate more towards that second part um, where I'm not, you know, if you're doing all the lift, if one person's putting all the energy in, it's not a good collaboration. So mm. um, I suppose that. And are you able to spot this trait early? How early is early? <laughs> Before I've committed to something, or <laughs> I, I would, yeah, that that would be a one reasonable definition of early. No, no, I'm not. Uh, maybe that's a skill you gain over time. We'll see. Yeah. I, I have I got really lucky with this many many times in life, and as I'm having to make these choices more myself, um, I, I think I'm having to learn more about it than I did in the past. Describe something that made you smile today, or this week 
Um, so there's a subreddit for professors on Reddit and it's like 80% complaints that you'd hear at a faculty meeting that you don't want to read online. And it's 20% just amazing memes. Um, and it so happened that something that was happening on my teaching side lined up with one of those memes this week in a way that was just perfectly timed. Uh, and that got a, a solid chuckle out of me, which is about all you can expect from a, you know, scrolling through Reddit or something. Care to share? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can send me a link afterwards. <laughs> what is some of the best advice that you've gotten or given or would find yourself giving or would like to give? to students, collaborators, colleagues? How, how broadly can I interpret advice? Fairly. So like advice comes in the normal form we think of, of like somebody telling you something that you should do. And advice also sometimes comes in the form of an example that sticks mm. with you. Mm. I, I, I have a very distinct memory of when I was young, um, my dad was mad about something else, about someone else, and he had a bit of a temper at the time. And I remember he yelled at me about something trivial, uh, and I was, I was young. And then there was this moment where he sort of just stopped right after doing it, got down on one knee and just explained that it wasn't me and he's sorry and he was wrong about it. And it was this instantaneous moment of like, people make mistakes, even mistakes that hurt you. And if you hurt someone, you should just stop and like explain that that was wrong and also you didn't mean it. And like that, that sort of ownership of what you do and how it affects other people stuck with me um, in a way that I don't, you know, not a lot of my younger years I don't remember, but that was a moment that has sort of stuck around and probably morphed a million times because memory is fallible, but uh, it's a piece of advice that has stuck around. Hmm. Interesting. Why did you agree to do this interview with me? I know that, you know, you've described uh, you struggle with uh, anxiety. Uh, you're probably going to think about the, your answers uh, for the next couple of days. This couldn't have been easy. So I'll do a story. Um, when I was in graduate school, I had similar problems. Um, and in fact, I've had sort of anxiety problems my whole life. Um, and it was a talent show at Indiana University. And I'm a bad singer, like not, not plug ears and run away, but not good. But I, 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 I decided to sing a song at the talent show um, for no good reason, other than the fact that it scared the hell out of me and would be super embarrassing. And you know, you gave me this invitation and I, you know, you, you, I didn't reply for a while and then I pinged you and said like, listen, I will reply. I, I will say yes to this because that's the, I know that's what I'll do, but I have to fight with myself for like a little while longer to get there. Because um, I, I, I try to force myself into these situations that I know I'm uncomfortable with because it seems like that's the path that eventually fixes it, uh, that eventually makes it easier to do these things. Um, and, you know, I haven't reached that yet, but I did this and I teach class and I sang a terrible version of Rufus Wainwright's Hallelujah in front of 30 computer science students. So we move forward a little bit more every time that I, that I try to push.
that's a wonderful note. That's a, it, you know, thank you for, thank you for doing that. Thank you for, uh, for finding the internal courage uh, and the strength to work through your, um, your struggles and, and being here. Yeah, it's, it's great to be here. And I, you know, I suspect lots of people have similar situations. Um, we're not all, we're not all built for the limelight. Um, oh yeah. Those are all the questions I have, Stefan. Uh, was there an aspect of your life or something about you uh, that we didn't get to that you think is something that we should talk about? Maybe. Um, like I, you know, I don't know about you and me specifically, but in general, like this is a hard job. You know, it's fun and you have a tremendous amount of freedom, but it's a hard job. And I think most of us rely on support systems in our lives from other people mm. to like, get through it and I think that's probably an important aspect of like what, what my life looks like. Um, and I assume that for other people too, right? You know, who do you talk to when you're angry or who do you talk to when you had a bad day? And these sort of things I think are what keeps us going in a profession that has a lots of ups, ups and downs, right? Um, mm. So what is, what, what do you, oh. <laughs> who do you rely on? What is your support I see. system? Um, I should, you know, I didn't see this coming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, for me, you know, I think a lot of the stability does come from sort of having a partner for a very long time that I'm with. Um, and we've been together through periods of my life where I didn't do this and where I did something else and I didn't have any of the sort of research credibility that I have now or anything like that. And there's this strong belief that that will be there no matter what um, for me, that there's this stable base there uh, is, is super important. Um, and I suspect for many of us, like that is the untold story of academia is, you know, somebody on the other end propping one of us up <laughs> or more than one person propping us up. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and I suspect this is true for many other positions and like uh, that people find, you find support, you find that behind uh, a, a shiny position or person that is often an enormous, uh, you know, years and, and, and a community of support behind them and it perhaps doesn't get talked about or acknowledged. Um, and yeah. Okay. Thank you for doing this, Stefan. This was, this was, I found this valuable. I hope other people do as well. Um, I'm sure at some point I'll look back and find it fun. <laughs> I hope so. Always nice talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>